Hello and welcome to the Training Science Podcast. I'm Paul Larson. And I am Martin Buscheid. And we're excited to be your hosts. Together, we're going to be exploring both the science of training and its application in sport. We've spent the last 20 years researching and applying the science at the coalface of high-performance sports, from elite clubs, professional athletes, and Olympic programs. But it's going to be here on the Training Science Podcast that we're going to take that experience and provide you with what my colleague Martin likes to call a no-bullshit approach to how we apply the science in the real world. And because the context always matters more than the content. So let's get into today's podcast. Okay, here we are, everyone. Welcome to the Training Science Podcast. My name is Paul Larson. I'm Martin Bouchait. And we're going to be your hosts of this podcast. So I think the very first thing we have to ask ourselves is, what in the heck are we doing, Martin? This is an absolutely saturated market. What the hell are we going forward with launching a bloody podcast in our already busy lives? Yes, and that's probably the first thing I asked you when you put that back on the table and I said, fuck. Are we going to make the time for that? And um, I think the two of us, we like podcasts. We kind of, we enjoy this way of learning because we always manage to do something else on the side as a way to tick many boxes simultaneously. So I think it's a nice format. We like the format. But now, yeah, when you're really thinking we're going to do better than the others, that's a little bit, maybe too much to start with. But we believe that we may have a new another way, an original way to, to bring things, to bring our opinions, our views on things, to hopefully bring something new. No, I don't think. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, yeah. So those of you that don't know, our history basically is science and application of training. We've always been big believers in this middle space. And I think, yeah, just to your point, we want to have this other way of communicating that middle space to people. That's what we teach in our hit science course. And that's what we're wanting to, we just want to bring a little bit more of a, of a new format. People can learn on the go, listen to our podcast and whatnot. And I think we've got a great network as well that we can pull on. And, and I think that's the key purpose. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree about this, this middle space. And I think the both of us, we have been in the extreme part of the spectrum being heavy publisher, academic world, having to get those, those stuff into journals where you end up most of the time compromising a little bit yourself and your ideas because it has to fit into that, but you still want to play the game. You want this journal and so on. So we know the game as well, you know, we know the research and we like the research for the evidence side of the things and having the things right. But the both of us, we also been with top class athletes, being in the trenches. And we often realize that the gap between both, I always talk about the cost benefits or the efforts for the rewards about spending so much time or putting so much emphasis in the research and then having to apply things in the real world. And you see, imagine those, those six months doing biopsies and uh, your two max tests in the lab and, <laughs> and I'm working with those guys. I haven't done a test for six months, you know, for example. So I think with our history, our background, the two of us, we've probably been, been the most among the most frustrated in both worlds and seeing that those both worlds don't always communicate well. Yeah. The guys in the lab, they think the coach don't know anything and the coach, they said, they don't research what we want. So I think, yeah, that's definitely something we have in common among, among many, many other things. And I hope that 
our vision, as you said, with the network we have, the, all the people we want to bring in this podcast, hopefully going to bring something uh, a bit different and original to all the great shows that are already uh, on live, of course, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So again, for those of you that are learning about us for the first time, we better start at least with one podcast to go over our brief backgrounds. So why don't I start? And um, so my very brief background, I am Canadian born, Vancouver area, triathlon was my sport and ultimately failed athlete. So wanted to do that. Super passionate about the sport of triathlon in the 80s and 90s and actually spent maybe five years trying to living out of the back of a VW combi van and trying to become a professional triathlete. And that failed. So I turned to try to figure it out and, um, and went to sports science, went to UBC and then got a PhD to a scholarship to the University of Queensland. And that was, I was so excited about that because that's when the Australian Institute of Sport was really kicking goals in the world as they still are today, but that was the latest sort of thing. So to go to Australia was a real honor. And then and I did my PhD in high intensity interval training. And fast forward, I guess, to I remained down in Australia and I got a couple jobs. I sort of went the academic world at that point, right? So started in as an athlete, went to science side, became an academic at Edith County University. And that's where I met Martin, actually. We'll kind of go back to that one. And then basically 10 years in Australia. And I was doing lots of work with the Australian Institute of Sport at that, at that time, Dave Martin, and supervising PhD students who were doing projects with AIS. Got a job with um, the New Zealand Olympic program. And that basically, um, I was leading the physiology squad there, the physiology team. And then I really got the knack also at the same time, working in the sport of triathlon. I loved working with athletes. And I started, I got my wrist slapped a, a few times because I was, uh, I took on athletes and, and started coaching them because I really had a, I thought I had a bit of a knack for that. And um, I still do that today, but eventually had to come back to Canada. And um, this is where I'm at here today. I'm in the little town of Revelstoke and I, I coach athletes, uh, professional athletes in the sport of triathlon just uh, online. And of course, of uh, a written hit science with Martin. So uh, through all the research that we did. So I think that's a, a quick version of me. And uh, yeah, I think there's other podcasts and stuff and whatnot if people want to learn more. But yeah, over to you, Martin, just your brief, similar story to me, I think. <laughs> similar in terms of failed athletes. Failed athletes. For sure. Yeah. For sure. My sport was handball. And uh, I came to the strength and conditioning side of the things pretty quickly for myself, because knowing that I didn't have the talent, I probably needed to be or trying to be fitter and, and stronger. So... I kind of really jumped into this, or I always wanted to learn more about the training for myself initially. And I love so much to train myself that then I said, okay, I'm going to train the others. And especially because I was not able to play at the, at the elite. So I would say that now the science came after in a sense that I just wanted to understand so much more the training to improve the training processes. And I started to investigate and the uh, all the research that I came to do that after was really about, about always better understanding my own practices. And that's probably because after having published way too many papers that I also realized that, again, as I said initially, you end up spending too much time for writing those papers and you probably don't always manage to, to close the loop and really, really improve training as it was the initial question. So I kind of always changed a little bit the types of jobs. So after being full-time strength conditioning coach, 
throughout the PhD, after my PhD, I started to be lecturer, to be able to keep on teaching and also having, because when you're a lecturer, you often have uh, the chance to supervise PhD students. So that was a way to push the research forward. Was not happy with that, so I went to visit you guys. That was 2007 in uh, Australia. That's just a shock to see how you guys were operating. So I said, I don't want to stay in academia in, in France anymore. Moved to Qatar as a way more sports science applied because I, having done already the full-time strength and conditioning, the lecturing, I needed to be now sports science to bring the applied part of the, of the science to really put things together. And I think that was a really nice combination to go through from those different, different jobs. And then kind of the a way to put everything together was when I worked in, in Paris Saint-Germain for six years after, being head of performance, having some responsibilities on the pitch, leading this kind of department, the sports science. So that was a very nice combination of, of everything. So that was six years up to now a year and a half and COVID and the universe changed completely everything. Started to work remotely for Kitman Lab great company. We do analysis, we do science, we do analytics, but for clubs. So we don't need to publish anything, you know, we're just about digging into their data and understand the question. And that's, that's to me now the best way to research, but on meaningful things. But because doing just the research for others was, again, I was starting to miss again something. I went back to working now in a football club in France, which is Lille Olympic Sporting Club. When I'm back into this role of head performance on the side of keeping my duties with Kitman and I'm really enjoying the, the balance. And I would say that now in between this Kitman role and the role at Lille, I'm really in the middle of all the things that I, that I love and I keep trying to learn from one side to feed the other. And it's really going on both sides. And again, talking about this training science, the application, this is where really where we are at the moment. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. So I think uh, it's pretty evident from both of our intros there that we've kind of gone back and forth between the the research side of things. I think probably 300 publications between us and then lots of time at the coalface as well with athletes and coaches and starting to appreciate context as well. And that's what we're going to talk a lot about here today. And on that, you know, I think even for the way we presented ourselves you start with talking about your PhDs and everything, but even as an athlete, you know, like how many triathlon have you done? About a hundred. So I think that's, you know, you talk about the, the 300 publications, but what about hundred triathlon? Yeah. Because you, it's not only the time, the hours you put in yourself, but just the learnings that you got from training yourself. Mm-hmm. The number of athletes you coach, that's not written anywhere. Again, because I can, people from the outside, people who don't know, so people like, like us, I would say, you see what you can read somewhere in a curriculum. So you see the publication, but you don't see those training hours, the time with athletes, all those things. And I would define myself probably by many, many, many other things than those uh, two or 300 publications. Mm-hmm. Most of my time, my thinking, my interest is not about the research, even though people, most of people know me because of the research. That's a bit the tip of the iceberg, but I don't define us ourselves in terms of the energy we put in things and our interest as typical researchers. Because the typical researchers, their life is their publications. And for us, it's far from being it. And this is why I think with a lot of humility, of course, that we have at least a unique type of approach of the things because of the things outside of the research that we love and put our energy into it. Yeah, well said. 
Well said. I don't think there's yeah, there's much more to say on that. And and again, mate, you're the same. So yeah, honored to hold hands and walk down this road. And I think we already are. There's there's so many others that are out there, people that are um, our colleagues and that are part of Hit Science, and many others that uh, they walk this walk as well, which is really really cool. So. We could go on a lot longer on that one, but we should probably move to a little bit of context, I guess, and philosophy. That's what I want to move to next. We're going to start in with these next three episodes. So one, two, three is, is really going to be where we're going to give ultimately a Coles Notes version of the foundation of, of hit science. And based on this history, this is where we kind of came to in, in 2018 when we finally put everything down into a book. And of course, and yeah, I think you were always the best at teaching me this, Martin, as with so many things is that the very key philosophy in only a few short words is, as you've taught me, is context drives the content. So what does that mean to you, Martin? I think yeah, this is really what makes the complexity, but also the interest of our jobs when we work in, in elite performance with, with athletes is that most of the time, and this is exact sentence comes from you, of course, about the, there's always many, many ways to, to skin a cat. There is always the thing that looks right, that looks ideal, but then there is always the other part of making this happen. And this is always, again, context driven. So you come with the research, with your studies, what you've learned, and then you say, okay, let's probably the best thing to do tomorrow in this session is to do, to run this. And if we want to talk about high intensity, we, we can use because that's of, of course the core of what we've done together, but you can apply that to any type of session. You can apply that to nutrition, to when you have a nap or everything. You always have what is supposed to be the best option. And then it's almost all the time a compromise or an adaptation. And when you realize that, and when you talk to people that don't have this, science approach of the things, they only have the context. And so this is where things start to crash because there's some people that just always on the adaptation side of the things and you come with things that for them look very too rigid because ah, research has said you should do 10 reps of this exercise to reduce injury, for example, which is super naive. And those guys will say, yeah, but we are not always doing this exercise, but we are doing three others exercises that touch the same muscle. So are we doing what the research says or are we doing something which is better or wrong? And you said, yeah, by the way, you're probably clever than me because by doing other exercises, you're still following the same objective, but you're just touching more fibers. So in the end, it's probably way better what you guys do, for example. But this is not about context, but it's about, about the fact that research is too narrow most of the time. So the context, again, drives almost all the time to me the optimal response. And if we have all the content integrated in our hard drive, then we can apply the right content once we have understood the context. And this is why one of the most, if you ask people that are, have been in, in elite sport for a while, or the successful people versus the less successful, the first thing that will always come to in mind from everyone will be the capacity to adapt the program, the knowledge to the athletes, to the moment, Things that work one year, you do the same the year after, does not work, and vice versa. There's people that even talk about the, the art of coaching, which, I, of course, I can't, you know, with this scientific background, you cannot go completely vote for the, everything is an art, but it's always a balance of, of everything, of course. And I think what we love is to, 
once you have understood the context, then bring the science and the evidence back in. So that's, you don't just don't do things based on your guts and, and your feelings. And that's also about, you know, like I'm going a little bit further than that, but the evidence-based versus the evidence-informed type of practices. You're informed about the evidence, but then let me apply it in my context because the science doesn't know the context. Those papers, those things, they don't know if you had a nap or not, if you came at, at 3 a.m. or you had, a, you had a great night's sleep. Who knows that? Who knows then the best running technique, the best exercise is this one or that one. You completely have to adapt because of many things that arise that you cannot phantom without being there. That's also why I'm often skeptical with planning too much in advance or having these kind of things because you have to adapt all the time. You just spend your time adapting and then choosing the least bad option rather than the best or the optimal. So I think you've given in this, obviously I'm fully on board with it. I think you've really given the, the forte of the, the argument for what's important. Maybe to the, the person that's embedded in the sport because they appreciate the context first and foremost. And, and maybe that's right. But on the flip side, where does the, I don't know, less science-informed, really appreciating context practitioner, coach or whatever, fall down if they don't pay attention a little bit to the science. Yeah, in this case, they rely more on their, on, on their guts and their feeling, and they might just repeat things that they've always done without having enough open-mindedness to understand that what they do might not be optimal or they might have new practices or other things that could also work. So that's probably the downside of just considering the context, and I'm used to that. Mm-hmm. Do you have any good examples that people would might uh, relate to that you've that you've come across? Typically, you've been coaching in a in your own club or environment in your sport, and you always done the thing this way. So that's the way, and it works. It's your training philosophy. So you always like to do these kind of exercises because you know they work, and athletes they love them. And the next year, you just move to another club or you work with another athlete that for different reason has a different nationality he's been through something something completely different and the coach that doesn't have this ability to really who's too much centered on on his beliefs and doesn't manage to open to the science and other things in this case because in this case it's about overlooking the context what i'm trying to say but that's a very good example so it's not exactly what you were asking but in this case you change environment you change athletes but you don't consider enough the new context and you keep doing the things that you were doing before. And you're going to crash for sure. You're going to crash because those athletes are not used to, to have this workload. They're not used to do this type of prevention work on a given day before, uh, the day before a match versus... And just because they're not used to that and because you have not considered enough the context, even though it might look right on the paper, it might have worked in your previous context. Mm-hmm. It might not work again. So if you don't have this capacity to really step back, observe and say, okay, context is different. All right. So if I can't fit my usual training routine that day, because those guys have never done it, fair enough. But then when can I still fit this routine? Because I still believe this routine is important, but I might put it on another day of the week. So that you stick the box, but at least you adapt it. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. I asked you to, to go the other way, but you kind of brought it back to the context. But you're right. At the end of the day, that is that is the key. You still have to have both. If you're not appreciating the science of, uh, end of it or, you know, the, the basic foundation and fundamentals of the science, you can't go back in and adapt under a new context. So I think the other example that you've often given to me is that we have certain certain tools that we often use. And maybe this is the same example, but it's like I always use VO2 max intervals on Tuesday or whatever. And this is my this is the the string that I've got in my bow, and I apply that, and that's just the way things work because that's uh, yeah because I know that. And yeah, we need to we need to go a little bit deeper. And if you understand how the different levers can be pulled within the training science then it gives you this whole new power ultimately to go into any other new context and deacon move in that to um to go and hit the nail of training stimulus or response that you want to put your athlete in the best the best position that they need to be in any given important time yeah i'm trying to find a proper example of again being too too strict on just repeating things so again I'm talking about team sports, of course, because that's, that's really my, my thing. Let's say you have identified a player who would need some fitness top-ups because based on your testing, on your monitoring, this guy has been identified that he needs some, some metabolic conditioning. So if you've always been into the typical, okay, typical conditioning is about running. So this guy is going to train with the team and we're going to have him do a few extra sessions after some of the key sessions in the week so that he gets more work done because that's what he needs. So that's the funnel view. He needs to improve, so let's work more. But what you don't see with having just him running more after each training session is that you're going to increase his running load through the extras. So having the ability to, to think more about your, the actual content and what are the other alternative options to still work on his fitness without obligatory increasing his running load, then you might think, okay, why not use intervals on a bike? Why not using heat exposure and these kind of things? And then you start to eventually reach the same objective, which is increasing the volume of metabolic conditioning, but without, in this case, increasing his running load, which hopefully, likely, will probably be better tolerated. Mm -hmm. I think that, that's typically the example where the context will help to drive what is the best addition in this exact uh, case, a specific case for, for this athlete, for example. You've just highlighted a couple of, uh, of key things that we're going to talk about in the next episode, and that is the different physiological targets. So, for example, you've, just, you've mentioned the running load, and the running load is going to have a certain neuromuscular physiological response. And the bike is going to have a different one, right? The bike is going to be a little bit more cardio-based, so aerobic response. So this is kind of how we can move the different, the different levers to still get that, um, the optimal physiological status ultimately on, um, or training status on, on game day. And that's what we're after. So maybe that's actually where we should um, just, well, let's finish up here with context because what we're working on, I'm gonna, we're gonna place for those that are, that are in the video content or that are watching the video, we'll put this up and we'll, um, we'll give a little bit of a picture. This is our key figure, those of, those of you that have been with us for a while, but we'll just fi finish on the left-hand side of the figure and, and we've got um, the key contextual considerations that we wanna have a grasp on that we've outlined in, at least in the book, 
science and application of high intensity interval training in the course. So we've got our sport demands. We've got our, so obviously endurance sports are going to have going to be different in terms of their demands relative to the many of the team sports. And even within endurance sports, there's various different uh, divisions or, or, uh, or distances, say, for example, that are going to have different demands, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's so many contexts within that. We've got the athlete profile, the individual. So we're doing more and more work on this these days to look at the different how we're we're all made up so much different with the different uh, fiber types and um, anaerobic speed reserves, et cetera, et cetera. So we always have to look to the individual. We have to look on any given game day when we're applying something, the the adaptations that we're after from that response. We have to think long term. Can't just think in that given moment. And this brings it back to the to the periodization as well. What sort of phase are we in? So. Now, those are the key ones that are outlined on this figure. Are there any others, Martin, that, I mean, there's so many contextual ones, but are there any big ones that you think, you know, we, if we're going to rewrite this, uh, this figure again that you might put in there? I think you have also all the, the daily events that happen in the athlete's life. Again, you put a lot of sleep. Again, talking about the congested fixtures in training. Ideally, the day after a match, the substitute will have to do a hard session to compensate for the match they did not play. That's the plan. That's the ideal content. Context, the plane was delayed, you came back, it's 4 a.m. You might not do those hard intervals. Or if you want to, them to do this hard type of work, then you're going to work on the format of this work so that you might decrease the neuromuscular load, so you may diminish the risk of injury in the context of acute fatigue. So I think, and talking about this example I just gave now, we should almost probably start with this earlier in the discussion. Yeah. About the edits, because that's right to the point. And um, I think the whole part we did about the context, it's a lot of time for not nothing really bang. Mm-hmm. I'll be happy almost to redo yeah. a large portion of that because that's very important. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I just can't, you know, I was working with an athlete yesterday, actually, and um, I was just going to psychological state. We've had that in there before, but psychological state and um, accumulated fatigue. And these are reasons you would change the context or you would change up the session exactly. immediately based on what that, what you're sort of seeing in front of you. So, so. why don't we restart again? But we give those examples straight. Yeah. But this is what the Training Science Podcast is really all about. If you ask me, it's, it's people will want to come in and listen to this podcast because they can hear us live, ultimately rewriting the book and course as we build out sort of version two of this. Yep. So it's almost about going deeper into all the contextual factors that people consider to make decisions. As simple as that. Yeah, absolutely. But um, that's definitely what the majority of the podcast is going to be about. But we still have to finish up and we have to, you know, we want to just have in these in podcast one, two, three, we're really just going to put it lay some foundation. So in the next podcast, 
what I'd like us to focus on are really just the physiological targets, the key physiological targets that that we go after typically when we, because you know, eventually we are going to get to the the content. You gotta, we gotta put something down in the plan, and we gotta, we, we gotta do something to prepare. So, what are those? And um, and let's give some good examples, and let's be really clear on what those are. So, um, without, uh, I think that's probably a good little wrap up for episode one, Martin. Thanks so much for coming in with uh, and, and going on this journey with me and um, let's go forward. Sure. Let's see how it goes. Let's see where this goes. <laughs> okay. Thanks team. Hey there, training science enthusiasts. If you like what you just heard, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at hit science to keep up with our latest. And if you want to take your knowledge to the next level, visit our website to check out our full online course and textbook on the science and application of high-intensity interval training. Now, if you're a university, club, or sports organization, we've got special packages available for you and your team. Just contact us at info at hitscience.com. And if you want to join our evolution as a field and take your application even further, be sure to check out the Hit Science Technology platform, Athletica. Visit athletica.ai or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at athletica underscore AI. Thanks for listening.